Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a a good week. You had a good week. Oh yeah. You don't look like you did. You yeah. <laughs> How about you? You're not so con not very convincing. Yeah, I had a good week. Um, I didn't tell you this last Sunday because I just, I just didn't. But um, last couple of weeks, I had a terribly abscessed tooth. You know how those oh, hurt? No. And uh, they'd given me an antibiotic and first week it didn't do a thing. So I finally went in last Monday after church. Um, and they, yeah, they found, me a, they found me an oral surgeon with an opening on Monday morning and I got it out. And I had a bone graft on Thursday in my, in my jaw in between classes. I had an hour and 15 minute break and so I went over and had a bone graft. So the last sec first day of classes, I couldn't really miss classes. Um, so my last class I taught, you know, yeah, I don't know if you, do you remember the priest and the princess bride, do you know, those of you who've seen that movie, <laughs> that's what I was like, I, I had a pretty funny voice, but uh, they were amused, so, but I feel a lot better today than I did last Sunday, so uh, I actually, uh, yeah, so it's good. Thank you. <laughs> Lord is good. So today we're we're actually gonna finish up the series on um, different images and metaphors for God. Not because we've exhausted all of them. I mean, there are hundreds. Um, just because it seemed like time to move on. Um, at least after the train gets by, we'll move on. Um, so we got this natural break coming. Y'all know next Sunday we have the the brunch here, so we won't have a lesson next week. So I thought it seemed like a good time to sort of end this series. We'll come back Labor Day weekend. I'll sort of introduce the new series, which is. Um, we're going to be talking, um, it seemed like one of the, the topics we had that several people were interested in when you voted um, was talking about the sort of historic creeds that we recite, uh, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Um, a lot of times on Communion Sunday, if you're in the sanctuary service, you might stand up and say one of those creeds, and um, some of you probably know a little bit of the history of those creeds and know where they came from. Um, but it seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like we ought to know what we're standing up and what we're saying. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about those for a few weeks. And I'll, I'll introduce that on Labor Day uh, weekend. And um, if anybody's here. And um, if not, I mean, Brian just told you to get it on the podcast, right? I just gave you permission to stay home and sleep in and listen to it online. Um, so that, that's where we're headed, uh, just so you know, um, in the coming weeks. I think it'll be interesting. Um, I think you'll enjoy that. And it'll give us, I mean, we've been looking at sort of biblical images of God, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the stuff in the Creed comes from Scripture, too. People didn't just sit around and make it up. Um, 
but it's sort of interesting to have a historical perspective on um, if you have to say, if you have to condense uh, what your deepest convictions are about God and the central affirmations of the Christian faith, I mean, what would you say? I mean, that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. And to think that we've had these, um, these creeds, these statements of faith for, you know, a very long time, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, right? In some cases, 16, 1700 years. So th th these are things that have stood the test of time. And so we'll take a look at those and see how we can use what the church has affirmed across generations uh, to encourage us and, and strengthen our own, our own faith and convictions. So that's where we'll be headed. But today we're wrapping up. Um, we've been all over the map, as you know. Uh, we started by talking with some familiar ones. We talked about uh, God as father, as parent, as friend. And we went to food, talked about uh, the bread of life, God as uh, the fruit of the vine, uh, as, as wine as the vine dresser. Uh, we talked about God as uh, clothes, right? To put on Christ. Um, what else have we done? Labor. Labor, yeah, last week we did. Uh, God as, as a woman in labor. Yeah, notice that uh, Liz said that sort of breathlessly. <laughs> appropriate, because we talked about how important the breath is. And so today I thought we'd, we'd pick a hard one um, to end on, because we were reminded, I mean, one of the reasons we were looking at these was to remind ourselves that one of the reasons, probably the primary reason which Scripture has this huge array of images and metaphors for God is that I mean, God is inscrutable. Right? Um, God can't be contained by our minds. Uh, the best we can do is, is bring to speech with God's help uh, certain images. Uh, God's willing to be brought to our speech to human speech to say something about God that is that is true, that is helpful, uh, that is encouraging, that is challenging. Um, but we ne we never exhaust who God is, um, and so uh, we need we need all of these and more uh, if we're to um, come to understand the depth of who God is. And so, in thinking about what I'd end on today, there was kind of a, a convergence of things that happened. Um, sort of like the convergence, that's, the great convergence that's going to happen tomorrow. Right? Yeah. You're probably tired of hearing about it by now. Uh, this will finally pass. Um, I barely remember the last one that happened um, back in the 70s. Um, and um, I don't think hardly anybody noticed. <laughs> now, now it's a main. Now it's a big event. So, um, by the way, I, I'm actually gonna. I have. I don't have to teach tomorrow, so I am, am actually gonna go someplace. I'm not gonna tell you where. Um, so I'm hoping not everybody in the world's gonna be where I'm gonna be. <laughs> so, uh, if you really don't have a place to go tomorrow, you want to go with me? Let me know. But I'm, I'm gonna leave this afternoon and drive someplace. And um, 
If you happen to have an extra pair of the clip glasses that you're not using, I'll buy them from you. Um, $200. $200. So, <laughs> that's, that's going to be a bargain. Um, but you know, an eclipse is an interest. It is an interesting phenomenon. Um, and I was thinking about the way in which, across history, eclipses have eclipses have been such fearful things. Um, you take you think about the two major sources in the heavens of light, right? The sun and the moon, one which is generating light, one which is reflecting light. And then every once in a while, um, those two sources of light go out, right? The moon's not reflecting. In fact, it's covering up, right? So the two sources of light are both gone in an instant. And that was a pretty fearful thing. They didn't actually know all that was going on or why, right? It was always a, a really crazy, fearful thing. Um, you know, in our day, it's easy just to kind of yawn and go on because uh, we, we purport to know, we, we can explain what's going on. Um, but I got to thinking about uh, God as light and particularly um, when we think of the sun, I thought of God as fire or flame, um, which is a prominent image of God in scripture. Uh, fire, flame, light, those are all uh, connected. You know, fire for as, I mean, we know that that's, that was a turning point in the history of human beings, right, was, was fire. And we sort of take it for granted. Um, we have some chemists, we have some probably physical scientists in the room that can explain what fire is. Um, but most of us don't really know what it is. We just know we can make it happen, right? We get a match or we've got a little... Uh, and it's pretty astonishing when you think about it, what's actually going on there. Um, even in a... I mean, I, I went back and um, reminded myself what an incandescent light bulb is, um, which are going away, right? They're going away. But... Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's using electricity uh, to create resistance, to create enough heat that it actually gives off light, right? Um, now, the inefficient thing is, is of all the energy that's used in an incandescent light bulb, 95% of it goes to heat, only 5% of it goes to light. That's why you're asked to get rid of them, <laughs> right? Because 95% of your energy is heating your light bulb. And most of you probably aren't trying to heat your house with your light bulbs. That's also not very fit. It's not all that much heat, but it just gives you some idea. So you, you, you've got this gas and you've got this wire and you've got this resistance and electricity. It's a pretty re remarkable thing that we take for granted. But again, it's the same kind of thing. Right? It's the same kind of interaction. It's a physical, chemical reaction 
uh, that causes light and heat. Different kind of ones going on in the sun. But in, in scripture, God is called in Deuteronomy, first of all, Deuteronomy 4, God is named by Moses. Moses is giving the people, sort of admonishing them uh, to obey and to follow God's commands. Uh, and says, because God is, warns him that God is a consuming fire. God is a devouring fire. Which is kind of a fearful thing. You, you recall that they, Moses had received the Ten Commandments right on the mountain that was itself a flame. And so this association with Yahweh, with, with God of Israel, with, with fire and with flame um, is, is deeply rooted in, in our Old Testament. And it's not something we like to think about because when we think about, talk about God as a consuming fire, it sounds awe-inducing uh, awe and a little fearful. And Moses seems to be uh, relying on it precisely for that, the right kind of fear that God is, uh, is to be uh, reverenced and, and feared. Um, and this... I think is an important, you know, corrective. You know, if we think when we talked about God as friend, right? Uh, if you think of a friend as someone who all they ever do is sort of hug you and pat you on the back and tell you what a fantastic person you are um, and how lucky the world is to have you, um, then that's a pretty superficial friend I think we all recognize. And the same thing here. If the only image of God is we have of the, the warm, cuddly teddy bear, then we, we haven't done justice to the whole uh, testimony of Scripture about who God is. Now I want to be, be clear here. When Moses, uh, if you want to look at Deuteronomy 9, uh, we'll, we'll start, sorry, Deuteronomy 4, We'll start there because this is the text that we're talking about, where he's, he's talking about, uh, verse 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming or a devouring fire, a jealous God. This almost always comes up when the children of Israel are tempted to follow other gods or to manufacture their own gods, right? To create them out of wood or stone. And... And Moses is always warning them not, not to do this, that their God is, a, that Yahweh is like a real God. Not, I mean, anything that you can make from your hands, Moses is saying, and Isaiah echoes later, I mean, it can't really be God, right? That just seems to, like, why would you bow down to and, and worship something that you made? I mean, that's not even, that's not even more than you, right? So how could you? How, how could that be God? And so, so God is, is more than you, not less than you. And so this notion of God being a jealous and a consuming fire almost always comes up in the context of, of false worship, of, of worshiping um, idols. 
But it's not, I mean, when you hear that, it's interesting that Moses goes on to say um, that that's not the only thing you need to know about God's character. Even, even here, in one of Moses' most stark warnings in, in Deuteronomy uh, 4. So right after he says, For the Lord your God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. That's verse 24. He goes on. When you have had children and children's children and become complacent in the land, if you act corruptly by making an idol of the form of anything, thus doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. But he doesn't stop there. Notice what he keeps on saying. I mean, that, that's pretty, pretty scary threat. That's not, notice what God's doing. The Lord Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples. Only a few of you will be left among the nations where the Lord will lead you. There you will serve other gods made by human hands. Objects of wood and stone that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. From there you will seek Yahweh your God. And you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and soul. In your distress, when all these things have happened to you in time to come, you will return to Yahweh your God and heed him. Because Yahweh your God is a merciful God, he will neither abandon you nor destroy you. He will not forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them. So, so notice that even with this really pretty frightening threat that Moses is delivering to the people. God being consumer in fire it is not the end. It's all in service of God's covenant with the people. In some ways, it's, it's a kind of purifying act, right? That those, have, those who have gone their own way will be purified from Israel, but, but they'll return to the Lord their God, and God will have, God never has abandoned them. God won't abandon them because God has made a covenant with them. So, so even here, in some of its starkest language, um, it's important to realize that this God is consuming fire is, is set within this larger framework of who God is. Um, which again is not, to, is not to minimize the threat that God is, that God is voicing here through Moses. That they, that they not abandon the true and living God. And so here's where, here's where we're reminded of the kind of the paradox at the heart of, of fire, right? Um, it's hard to imagine contemporary life apart from, call it the miracle of fire, if you, if you want to, right? It's pretty astounding. Um, it gives light, right? It gives gives warmth, um, but it also can be a source of destruction. Right? Wasn't that long ago before, you know, not long ago um, when Gatlinburg 
was just completely taken off guard, right? By the series of wildflowers that together with the wind just wreaked utter destruction in just a few hours, right? So the very same thing, right? That which can bring, bring life, sustain life, bring warmth, bring light, um, also can bring destruction. That's, that's the kind of paradoxical character of fire and flame. And it's interesting to me uh, that God in Scripture is known as a fire, as a flame. Right? You recall Moses' first epiphany of God, right? The so-called burning bush, right? It says God is fire. Although here, interestingly enough, right, the bush is not consumed, right? So that's also, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I mean, just to put together on the one hand, our God is a consuming fire, and yet when Moses is given this epiphany, uh, this theophany, if you will, of, of God, the bush precisely is not consumed, right? Um, and to us, that's, that's the marvel. Um, to the rabbis, uh, it turns out that the, the marvel was that Moses lingered long enough and was attentive long enough to discern that it wasn't burning up, actually. It's only after he lingers long enough to see that the burn, that the burn, the bush burning isn't actually being destroyed. It's only then that God reveals who God is. He could have just, right, kept walking by like another bush, right, uh, combusting in the in the desert air, right. Um, so here at the beginning of our story, you know, early on in the story of scripture is God being revealed through a burning bush. And then, but it's not, it's not the case that this, this image of God as fire somehow, yeah, peters out in the New Testament, right? Um, Jesus, one of Jesus' most uh, perplexing uh, statements uh, found in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's in Luke chapter 12, if you want to look it up. It's one of those troubling passages. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Kind of put that in your warm and fuzzy sayings of Jesus. <laughs> right? I came to bring fire. And you recall that, you know, John the Baptist earlier in Luke 3 had said that he was going to baptize with water, but one would come after him. Right, who would baptize with what? 
with fire. Right? So again, I think the amazing, the thing I want you to keep in your head is this kind of dual nature of fire. Uh, because when scripture uses the image of fire, it's not always clear which is meant or both. Right? Whether one of these, whether the sort of life-giving, um, sustaining, or purifying images is meant, or, or even destructive is meant. It's all, it's all possible, right? Um, and then, of course, Luke, uh, when he goes on to, to write what we know as the book of Acts, a sort of second part, and he talks about the day of Pentecost, what shows up? But tongues as a fire, right? On uh, the disciples. Um, yeah. Podium behind which you stand as two tongues of fire. Yeah. It's, it's part of the symbol of Methodism, right? Um, so, I mean, this is, it's a central image. It's, it's not a, um, I had to admit last week, uh, just honestly, as far as the sheer number of times it shows up, that the, the image of God as a laboring woman is pretty obscure. Um, God as fire is not. God as fire and flame is, is not obscure. It's not just around the edges. It's a pretty prominent image, as uncomfortable as it makes us. And maybe it, I mean, I guess the point is it probably should make us uncomfortable. Um, I don't think Moses, you know, recounts for the people that God is consuming fire because they thought, oh, thank you, Moses. We'll sleep better tonight because of that. Um, or thank you for, you know, comforting us with that image. No, I think it was intended to, to warn and potentially disturb and distress. Um, but again, he goes on, as I just read, he goes on to say that that devouring, consuming fire is still in the service of God's covenant relationship, God's mercy to the people of Israel whom God had chosen. So there's this image of, of fire throughout Scripture. And of course, there's the way in which we ourselves are called to, in some sense, I mean, we have these um, expressions, don't we? Uh, where we, we link passion with fire. Yeah? We say someone's on fire for a particular cause. Right? Um, and it, it can also be used in, in relationships where with a deep affection and longing and love for another person, right? Where your your heart is on fire, your heart is burning for another person, right? You may have found yourself saying that about someone you care deeply about. Might have been a long time ago. <laughs> uh, 
Because, yeah. you know, fire quickly turns to ember, and if, if they're not continually, stick with me, yeah, if they're not continually fueled, then they go out. It's true. And it can be your love for another person, it can be your... It can be my love for God. And if you'd like to get someone to do something, you got to set a fire on there. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because fire uh, suggests, you know, movement. Right? Yes. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of, I stuck mainly with Luke today because I was struck by how much Luke depends on this image. We've already mentioned um, Jesus bringing fire. and uh, It's also the case that, uh, and Mark, Mark Gooden actually alluded to this story that I was also going to mention. Um, Mark Gooden's telling uh, the story of the Good Samaritan uh, today. Um, but in the chapter right before in the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus and the disciples are, are going through Samaritan territory uh, on their way to Jerusalem, and they're not given hospitality. Um, lots of reasons for that. I mean, the Samaritans didn't really honor Jerusalem. That's not, they didn't think that was the right temple. They had their own. Um, and so James and John, um, sort of channeling their inner Elijah, uh, if you want to know that story, uh, go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 1. Uh, ask, hey Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? Because our God is a consuming fire. And they aren't treating us right. right? And again, there's this actually the story where Elijah does just that more than once. You can read that Kind of disturbing story in the opening to Second Kings. But Jesus rebukes them. Right? Jesus rebukes James and John. And again, this is not sort of peripheral disciples, right? These are not the hangers-on, the unnamed disciples. It's not, you know, Thaddeus. Um, this is <laughs> this is James and John, right, who are asking permission by Jesus to rain down fire from heaven upon these inhospitable Samaritans. And Jesus rebukes them. But of course, fire also shows up in the New Testament in this sense of refining, which is picking up on an image also in the Old Testament where Israel is told by God that like silver, it will be refined with fire, with affliction. Right? Um, if you want to get the impurities when you're mining and um, smelting silver, you heat it to a really high temperature under fire and it 
separates, right? And you can clear out the impurities from it and you get slag. And um, at one point, God actually calls Israel sort of the slag. I mean, they're called to be refined by God to be pure. And, and it's true that God, throughout Scripture, suggests that part of this work of fire is to purify us, right? Is to make us uh, more, more like God wants us to be, to restore the tarnished image of God, if you will. And so, Paul in, in Corinthians, you may recall, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about um, building, he uses the building metaphor here, and talks about the way in which there'll be this, you know, what we what we do with our lives. The question of it is how much of it will endure uh, into God's new kingdom. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day, and here day is capitalized, meaning the day, Right, the last day. The last day will disclose it because it will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Right. So there's this image of of God, of the refiner's fire, right? As God, as a refining fire, that that we are uh, ourselves broken people, uh, that we have within us, just like uh, unrefined metal, we have within us impurities. And so, again, the fire is meant for our good. It's not meant for our ultimate destruction. And sometimes, I mean, all kinds of things can be used by God as a refining fire. Often it's hardship, right? Um, there's something about hardship um, that clarifies the mind, potentially. doesn't always. Um, sometimes hardships can, can make us turn inward. We can actually see... Uh, we actually can become blind to what's going on. But in some ways, hardship often clarifies our sight about what we care about, right? Uh, what's really important to us, um, what matters, uh, what we give ourselves to. And it's not to say that, um, I mean, today's discussion is not uh, 
a discussion about whether in each case God wills those events for our good or wills them to come into being for our good, but that God can use those events to refine us, right? Uh, in the same way that the children of Israel were taken, you know, into exile, ultimately for their good. It's not something they would have wanted, uh, but, but they came to see it as uh, an act of God's refining fire. So we too are called to, in some sense, if, if Pentecost uh, and the United Methodist uh, <coughs> symbols, iconography, if you will, our icons, are any indication, we, we too are called to somehow be on fire, right? To, to somehow have fire within us. Um, we're back to Luke again. You recall that uh, one of the resurrection, the central resurrection stories in, in Luke is the, the two men on the road to Emmaus who encounter Jesus without really knowing it was Jesus. Uh, but they ask Jesus to stay with them. He does. And then he breaks bread and gives thanks. And their eyes are opened. And they realize it was Jesus. And he disappears. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us? Right? Did not our hearts burn within us? And, that, and the question is, is, is my heart a flame? Or is it far too stony, cold? Um, God wants my heart uh, to be a flame and has promised the Spirit to do so. But I have to be, I have to be open to that. Um, I have to, by God's grace, do what we can not to quench the spirit, right? Um, not to douse it out, not to douse the flame that's in us. And it's also why we need each other. You know, if you've ever built a fire, I never was a Boy Scout. Got Boy Scouts in the house? How many Boy Scouts we got? Yeah, we've got, probably got Eagle Scouts in the house, because this is, a, yeah, 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 we've got overachievers in this group. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, how about Girl Scouts? <laughs> yeah, leaders, yeah. So we got scouts all over the place. So make, take notes if you need somebody to build a fire. These are people you want to take camping with you. But everybody knows the easiest way to build a fire is to take fire that's, from, that's already started, right, and transfer it to your fire, right? Um, I know if you're all out, you've got 20 campgrounds, you want all your scouts to build their own. But just the easiest way is to get one started, and then everyone starts theirs from that. And that's the way it is with us, right? I mean, there are days when my heart, I'm sure, is quite cold and stony. And yet, on those days when it feels like the embers have all but gone out. Um, gathering with the people of God often 
I found responsible for sort of fanning those embers back in to flame, right? So this is not, uh, being a Christian is not uh, a private uh, affair. Uh, we're not called to be on fire. We, we help each other on the days when you feel like it's out. I, I hope you feel free and are encouraged to lean in uh, to the fire of other people and to the gathered community. Um, what, we, what we don't want to happen um, is to, to let our light go out and to, I mean, at our worst, we probably should say this since the eclipse is tomorrow. Um, at our worst, is at our, at our best, we're like the moon, right? We don't, we don't generate our own light. We just reflect the light of God. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right? And we are called, Paul says, say in the book of Ephesians, to be the children of the light. And so at our best, by God's grace, we reflect the sun. Right? We reflect God. At our worst, we get in the way. <laughs> Just like the moon's going to get in the way tomorrow. Right? Um, lots of people, I mean, maybe most famously, it was Gandhi who said, you know, he was really, really intrigued by Jesus. It was Christians that gave him pause. Right? Um, Lord, have mercy. If that should be us, um, may God forgive us when it is us, and may we, uh, by the grace of God, uh, reflect the pure and living, life-giving, refining fire of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for all the ways that you have allowed yourself to be imagined and imaged in and through your word. We give you thanks for the encouragement and the warning and admonition that are there that we need uh, to be the people you've called us and empowered us to be. May the flame of your spirit burn brightly within us that we might bear true and faithful witness to who you are and your desires for the world. Save us from eclipsing your light, your warmth, your own source of life to all that is. May we, as your people, be children of the light. And may our hearts like those first disciples, continue to burn within us from the gift of your spirit. We pray this through the one who said that he himself was the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen.